Welcome to the Bedrock Podcast. We apologize for the sound quality, we are recording this in our temporary home, in a warehouse. If you have any comments or would like to ask follow-up questions, visit us at doverspark.org. Enjoy the listen. Hi, this is Tech Sergeant Laura Beckley. I'm your friendly neighborhood at public affairs, and this is a Dover podcast brought to you by Bedrock, modern solutions for everyday problems. I just made that up, so patent pending. <laughs> Today we have Lieutenant Colonel Mike Street, who is a KC-135 pilot, and Master Sergeant Pedro Estrada, who is a comm troop by trade, who are here to talk to us about the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. So tell me about the Wounded Warrior Program. This is very different than the Wounded Warrior Project. Uh, the Wounded Warrior Program is a congressionally mandated program. Uh, it, each service has their own program to take care of those who are uh, injured in battle or severely uh, ill. Uh, Air Force Wounded Warrior Program is the Air Force arm and branch of it. So it's Air Force ran, like yep. pretty much every base has it or? Um, every base has access to it. Most bases have uh, an RCC located at their base. That's a recovery care coordinator. Mm -hmm. um, and they work directly for the program. But uh, not, not every base has an RCC there yet. Every base has an RCC assigned though. So for instance, I'm from Fairchild uh, in Spokane, Washington. Our RCC works at uh, McCord. Um, and so he covers the whole state. Interesting. And uh, Pedro, where were you from again? What base? I'm from Buckley Air Force Base. My RCC is uh, Jimmy. And nice. he's being really supportive too. Nice. And how long have you guys been involved with the Wounded Warrior Project? Program, I'm sorry. <sighs> yeah. Um, we. I've been enrolled since 2016. Okay. 2016 is when I got my diagnosis and I was enrolled automatically. And, and I was uh, enrolled in the program in 2011. And I was uh, automatically enrolled after my, uh, there was a casualty report from com coming from downrange. And that kind of leads us to our next topic. You both have um, two incredible stories, but they're very different. Um, uh, Mike, you received a diagnosis that you weren't expecting. Well, Pedro, you actually had a combat injury um, that you're still dealing with now. And, and I don't think a lot of people understand that about the Wounded Warrior Program is that you don't necessarily have to get injured in combat to be involved in that. Can you talk more about it? Um, sure. So in... Uh, 2016, I, I was having some medical issues, and uh, because of that, they uh, they took me. Um, they made me deniff off flying status, and they sent me down uh, town to get some tests done. And uh, so they found a growth uh, in my uh, rectum, and they said, uh, "Oh, well, this is most likely cancer." Um, I went ahead and took a biopsy and sent it off, and then uh, I, a week later, I got into the oncologist due to the tenacity of flight medicine, and uh, she said, "Oh, yeah, the biopsy is back. It's it's confirmed. It's cancer. 
if uh, it's stage one or two, it's, it's not too big of a deal. Stage three, it's, it's a big deal. If it's stage four, there's not a lot I can do to help you. Uh, okay, well, hopefully it's not stage four. And then a lot of scans happened after that. Uh, also due to the tenacity of my flight doc and getting all those through. So those, those uh, occurred very quickly for me, which is not the story for everyone. And when I went back to the oncologist, it was now a confirmed stage four cancer. Wow. How do you handle that? Like when someone comes to you with that kind of news? That is, uh, that is a tough, a tough thing to do. Um, stage four cancer. Uh, the week prior, I was told there's not much I can do to help you. Um, and there's all kinds of information uh, coming at you. And I thought, uh, what what are my chances of survival? At the time, 12% uh, chance of survival mm -hmm. for the next five years. And you were also married with two kids, right? Four kids. Four kids. Yeah, I, I had my spouse was there with me when I got the the diagnosis. Um, my four kids were at, at home, and we were wondering what how we're going to tell them that. And so, um, being the pilot, and in pilot training, they, they teach you, you know, whatever emergency you're facing, you always respond to it in the same way. Aviate, navigate, then communicate. Well, that's what I thought I, I would do. Uh, right, so, aviate. Well, well, what do I know? Um, for me, I've been a Christian for a long time. And I had I had always trusted God, and uh, I, I said, okay, well, aviate. Well, is my world different? Is it really different? Because it, it's hard when you get a diagnosis like that. It's hard to, to say God is good, mm -hmm. um, but I knew that He was um, because I had I'd been a Christian long enough, and I'd I'd read enough of of uh, the Bible to know, hey, there are people in the Bible that have these these challenges. Um, and uh, for me personally, I, I actually took it as a teaching point to my church. And, uh, and a couple of weeks after the diagnosis, talked in front of my church to say, hey, you have to you have to prep. You never know when this bad news is going to come. But that doesn't mean it's not hard. Mm -hmm. For two months. Uh, um, my wife and I would w wake up and um, one of us would say, God is good. And the other one would repeat back all the time, every day, because it's hard to remember that. So um, that's how I started. Uh, that's how I started in the doctor's office because I didn't know anything else. That's, that's what we're gonna do. And I said, okay, well, how do I navigate through this? What, what does it look like? You know, she went over treatment plans and what chemo was going to be like and uh, how I was going to, to take treatment. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to do it well. Let me, uh, all right, what do I need to eat? How, you know, what can I do? And so we, we learned all those things. And then I communicate. So I didn't have to tell my wife because she was already there. Like ah, it's hard to tell your kids that the 
their dad, who they've always trusted and looked to for strength, is sick. Um, so we had to we had to go to a counselor. Uh, they had him at the cancer care. I say, how how do you tell your five year old this? And they they said you you do, you just you tell them. And my kids were amazingly strong. Uh, I had to tell my leaders and. What, what do you do when one of your subordinates comes and tells you, um, I'm really sick? I know all because I've told many of them and people who work for me, you just, they just stare back because they don't know what to say. I started filling in the gaps for them. Well, this is, this is what it means. And I'd go back to, this is how I'm going to navigate this. But I told them all. Um, so that's that's how I, that's how you take the news. I mean, it's it's a tough news to hear, and it's, but it's the news you you want to know, right? You want to because now you can do something about it. So it's sudden and it and it kind of comes out of nowhere, which was a little bit like your experience as well, Pedro, where you yes, were deployed in 2011 and and something unexpected happened. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, so in 2011, after our, uh, I was deployed to Bagram Airfield, and midway through our tour, uh, normal day after work, 12-hour shifts, you already, we already have our routine developed, so we just follow our regular daily routine. We Me and uh, my coworker, Donnie Parsons, uh, we just went out to the gym to go work out, normal day, normal routine. And we did not expect this to happen. Uh, while we were working out, uh, a rocket hit the T-wall protecting the tent, or protecting the gym that was inside a tent. And uh, when the, it, it sounded just like a semi hitting a brick wall, hitting a concrete wall and uh, from the impact I got thrown from the equipment and hit my head. Lights were on, nobody was home so whenever I came to I just found me and Donnie running running for cover into a nearest bunker. Uh, after that I came to the real to the real realization of uh, how life is uh, so fragile. Whenever the all clear was that was given, uh, we just we went to the theater hospital to seek help or to get us get us checked out. We were having ring ears and a mild headache. So after being seen in the in the theater hospital for possible TBI and tinnitus. Uh, they give us some ambient and send us send us back home. When went back to the to my tent, took a shower. First thing I did was uh, call my mom because I knew there was gonna be a casualty report made next day. So the way that works is a uh, command post code calls your home command post and notif notifies all the next can and leadership and everybody. So. Uh, just to head off the process, I gave my mom a call right away and let her know, hey mom, this happened. Uh, 
I'm okay. All my parts are still in. Uh, then after that, I call my uh, my girlfriend, my now wife. Uh, she's not on my list of uh, next of kin, but well, now she is. But uh, just wanted to talk to somebody other than my mom, and I just gave her a call and told her what happened. And hey, I'm okay. So throughout this time, I'm still processing. I was still processing the the what had happened and the, the feelings from it. So yeah, like I said, uh, I came to the real realization of uh, how life is so fragile at any point in time. We, Byron, yeah, it's a relative, relatively safe base, but uh, yeah, we got hit quite a bit. So you never know where they're gonna land. And that's something that you continue to process through, right? It's a, it, it's this traumatic event that occurred that has these invisible wounds, which is part of the theme of your guys' visit um, to the base is talking about these underlying things that when you look at you guys, you don't see that. Like, I don't look at, uh, you Mike, and see a, a guy that has cancer. And I don't look at you, Pedro, and, and see a guy who went through a traumatic event who is still dealing with those repercussions. Um, for you, Pedro, what, what has it been like processing through that? The way uh, I have dealt with my... Uh and still dealing with is uh, just family support. I call it my uh, triangle, my pyramid. So my family is the very top of my pyramid, of my triangle. They give me the support and strength to live and continue to live every day. And uh, every time I leave the house, I give my daughters a huge hug and a kiss because you never know. I still, again, like I'm still processing through it. Uh, my wife is always there whenever I need somebody to talk to, a shoulder to cry. Then I develop uh, my uh, cir circle of friends and, uh, and leadership. So that's the other leg of the pyramid. So having somebody at work that I can actually talk to and uh, they'll listen and provide support and provide uh, feedback. And then my third leg of the uh, of the pyramid would be Air Force One, the Warrior. They have given me so much. This week alone, I have learned so much. In the beginning, whenever I got automatically enrolled in the program, I was uh, pretty much describing the phone calls. They were calling me like once a month. Hey, Pedro, how you doing? So I knew they were there. I knew I had help if I needed it. But yeah, I'm good. I don't know why you guys keep calling me, but okay. Thank you for calling. I'll call. Uh, I'll expect a phone call later. <laughs> I was getting emails too, like getting uh, invites to carry man. Again, uh, I feel I felt like an outsider to the program, or not really an outsider, but like I didn't really belong. Mm. It took attending one of these scary events to realize, hey, this is where I belong. Hearing similar similar stories, like being able to bond with people that have the same stories or some different stories that, but the outcome, or not the outcome, but the, there is a common theme in the togetherness and helping each other out throughout uh, these type of situations, mental, psychological, physical. Yeah, it, it makes total sense. You know, we talk all the time about having these pillars of resiliency and spiritual and all this other stuff. And it, it's it's very obvious that you had a very strong foundation in family and friends and now the Wounded Warrior Program. For you, Mike, 
your foundation was a little bit different. You, you kind of spoke to it earlier, but how did your spiritual, um, your spiritual relationship with God help you through this? Um, so I, as I said, I, I'd been a Christian for a long time. Um, and I had spent a lot of time uh, reading and reading through the Bible. So I, in a lot of ways, was prepared uh, to face, face trials. Um, and so when it came, I didn't, uh, I didn't know uh, exactly how to do it at first, but I knew what was true. And so I went back to the scripture that I read and okay well God is God exists God is good so therefore even though I have this terrible cancer God is still good didn't didn't change um, and I looked through scripture and uh, got inspiration from uh, Job and Psalms and Romans and Peter uh, to uh, to be able to say that and so having that that prep and finding the what is what is truly important in life prior to getting sick was was really important for me because i think if you if you don't do that when you when sickness comes or you're on the battlefield uh, it's hard to find it in that in that moment um, so yeah, that's how I was able to do that. I totally understand. It's kind of like um, packing for a trip and you needed something, but you didn't pack it. And it's like, oh, if only I had done that earlier. It's it's kind of that preparation. And, and while you found um, your foundation in God, like you don't necessarily have to find it there, but it's important to have it in general. Um, how do people do that? How do how do people start to build that foundation of resiliency, whether it be in religion or it be in family and friends? How would you suggest they start building their foundation today so that they're ready for when that bad day does come? Uh, I think we go through life um, and there's lots of things that go on. Um, there's, there's all kinds of social media. All these things are coming at us. Um, and we just we just keep moving forward step by step but a lot of times we we miss what's really important in life and so i think there are times that we have to have to stop and say okay what is important you know we all joined uh, the air force why did we join the air force what what caused us to do that is is that important is that's what what life is really about um, and so I know for uh, for me um, when I was much younger a few a few moons ago uh, <laughs> I I was busy trying to go through life and uh, meet all the requirements that were given to me you know do well in school and I didn't stop to focus on well, what what am I doing this for what what is really important um, until one day I did and uh, I stood I remember it to this day I stood in, in on the athletic field of the Air Force Academy and said well what what is this all about 
and uh, then that started a spiritual journey uh, for me, which where I ended up becoming Christian. Um, but I think everybody needs to do that in, in some form. Stop and, and just be reflective. Ask themselves the hard questions. Absolutely. Because a lot of times we don't want to answer those questions. In a lot of ways, it's easier to just say, well, I just got to keep moving forward. Uh, I Instead of processing this, I'm just going to play this video game or... Uh, you know, just go out with my friends, and if you never stop, then you never you never contemplate. So. Constantly distracted, it's never something you have to worry about. Absolutely, it, it was something similar for you as well, Pedro. We when we were speaking earlier, it seems like that that moan of clarity of what really mattered and, and where your foundation really was came with the birth of your first daughter. That is correct. So, uh, like I said, I was still processing through my feelings whenever I, I redeployed back to. Uh, home station my down girlfriend now wife had moved in with me and uh, we're dealing with this together she's my confidant and uh, whenever I, I actually felt the big realization or the big aha moment was when the, the birth of my first daughter that uh, she gave me my will to live and they are actually both of them Violeta and uh, Isabella are my uh, why I get up every day, why I do what I do, and my will to live. That foundation is is critical, and you both you both talk about your your families and how important they are to this process. You know, obviously your wife's helping you through your treatment, Mike and, and Pedro. Your wife and your daughters are helping you through your healing process. How uh, how have they impacted your personal recovery, or how has your situations uh, impacted them? Obviously, Mike, your family is carrying a lot of weight, and your family as well, Pedro. How does that look for them? Because when we talk about invisible wounds, like they're not just yours. Um, now for me, uh, you know, like I said, my my wife was in the doctor's office when she said you have you have stage four cancer that's a big that's a big burden for her uh, in a lot of ways it's easier for me as the patient because yeah it's it's exhausting yeah I'm having these terrible chemicals put in into my body but I just keep taking steps forward um, I, I know how to do that I just keep going uh, but my wife is left contemplating what what life is like without me um, as as you know part of being a Christian I'm not afraid to die and so the concept that hey I might not survive the next five years is not cripplingly frightening to me but what I am worried about is what is my family going to do when I'm gone and my wife is worried about how am I going to take care of four children? How am I, you know, now we work as a team. What am I going to do when half my team is gone? And uh, so that's taken a really large uh, toll on my wife, um, as well as my children. So children process information differently. I said they were, they were really strong. But my, I still take chemo. Uh, pretty regularly 
my kids notice when I take chemo. And they say, oh, Dad, did you just take your pills? And then, you know, they treat me differently. And uh, they're, they're sensitive to me about those um, conditions. And that's, that's tough. So, yeah, to the normal um, observer, when they look at me, they, they don't see that I have uh, these conditions. That they're invisible. Um, which honestly is the way I, I would kind of like it. Um, I don't always want to be treated as if I'm sick and fragile, but to that really close-knit family, they know and they see it and it's tough. So. I think it's a similar situation with me, specific, uh, especially with uh, how my wife views like Military life. Military life doesn't matter if you have a wound or not. It's uh, for the spouses. It's really hard. Constant moving, the uh, just making new friends and new locations, just because the job moves you there. So it's the same thing. She, my wife, uh, looks at how if I was to disappear at any moment, how she would take care of her two girls. Not that I have uh, anything terminal um, with me, but she's still processed through the same similar thought pattern. You're still in the line of work. There's always the remaining possibility that, yes. you know, it happens again. And how do you come back from that? Um, and, and that's where that foundation is so important, that uh, preparation for what may happen in the future. You, you both were kind of resistant at first to joining the Wounded Warrior program. Um, Mike, you're, you're, you told your story um, earlier in, in talking about how you didn't feel like you were supposed to be there. Pedro, you as well. Can you talk through like how that came about? Um, yeah. So for me, everything in the system worked the way it's supposed to work. Um, I told my commander the doctors were looking at my medical records and someone in medical referred me to the wounded, uh, the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. And then uh, my recovery care coordinator, my RCC in uh, Washington called me. And I said, well, I'm not a wounded warrior. It's right there in the name. He said, no, no, no. It's, it's for really sick people too. And you're, you're really sick. And I said, well, I'll, I'll think about it. Because I was sick. I didn't want to take some type of glory or honor that I, I didn't deserve. I wasn't uh, wounded fighting for my country. He called again the next day. And I said, I'm still thinking about it. And uh, a week later, he called me back. And I said, okay, start, start telling me about, uh, about the program. And uh, he... You know, he can told me most of the people in the program are, are actually ill. They weren't wounded in, in combat. And then uh, I didn't realize how much I needed from him um, because he had a lot of information about how the system is going to work. And when I talked to my leadership, you know, I told you they just kind of were like, um, I didn't know what to say, so I started filling in the gaps. Well, they didn't really know what to do either. How, how does the, the Air Force take care of wounded warriors? How does, what are, the, what are the programs that can help people that are 
sick? Um, what does retirement look like? Disability look like? And I probably stayed on the phone with two hours from my recovery court hearing. Wow. Uh, with my RCC. As I just kept asking him questions. Because um, one thing that uh, happens, there's all kinds of information coming at you when you're diagnosed with cancer. And you have all these concerns about what is life going to look like? How am I going to provide for my family? And so he had a lot of answers. And, and he took the time to sit down and talk to me about it. And then uh, the last thing he said to me was, Mike, you have supported the Air Force. You've done your part. We're going to do ours. And whether it's a pilot, and because I'm a pilot and I trust people you know, that work on my plane, because I didn't have any other options, I believed him. Um, and when I went and talked to my commander the next time, I said, hey, there's this Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. Here's this guy's number. Call him. Uh, he can help you. And uh, then I was able to release a lot of the stress and really just concentrate on getting better, um, which is what, uh, what I needed. So. Pedro, you kind of did the same thing. Like, they were calling, you're like, stop calling. <laughs> Yeah, and no, for me, it was a yeah, similar similar story, too. But after I got enrolled, uh, I, I kept on getting the phone calls and on and going and going. So my thought process at that point in time was like, uh, I still have all my limbs. I, I'm still mentally capable. Like, why are you guys calling me? I did not get injured. So at this point in time, I was still being uh, stubborn and not realizing what ha happened to me. It was traumatic and it left an imprint in me. It wasn't until later that I actually realized, hey, uh, I should get more involved with them. And uh, called my RCC, Jimmy Dixon, and uh, he helped me uh, get where I'm at now. Which is head and heels from where you were. I mean, you mentioned that even through this week of, of visiting Dover and sharing your story, that you you found a, a sense of um, empowerment in being able to kind of reclaim that. Yes, extremely therapeutic. Yeah, on uh, sharing my story. And it's the the Wounded Warrior Program hasn't just helped you guys as individuals as kind of being that liaison or that subject matter expert, the person who's going to find the answers for you so that you can focus on healing. Um, but it was helpful for your families as well in some ways, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, so this was my first care event. Um, even though was, I've been in the program for three years, I kind of the same deal. Everything worked out okay for me, so I didn't need to come to this. Um, and I didn't, I didn't bring my my caregiver, my my wife. Um, but I think I will in the future. Uh, I didn't know how much they were going to offer for her support, and we we already talked about she needs that support, and I didn't know that was there. Um, when they said caregiver, I thought that they meant somebody who I physically needed to take care of me um, right but no they meant people like my wife and so I intend to bring her her to another event um, similar situation here I intend to bring her on the next one that I can get on uh, 
She's been my caregiver since the beginning. She's the pinnacle of my support structure. And she's been taking care of me since the very beginning. So why not get all the resources from the program? Yeah. And a caregiver, from what I understand, can be anybody who is kind of like your right-hand man or your co-pilot, for lack of a better word, through your healing and your processing for whatever your issue is. Absolutely. Somebody uh, identified by the warrior as somebody helping them get through their situation. Um, and in my case, my spouse, who was there when I got the diagnosis, who was there uh, as I go through stuff, who called me between... Uh, our sessions here and said hey did you remember to take your pills mm-hmm. uh, I did so. <laughs> good huh. well, I was like let's have a recording yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing um, for people who don't know how to get involved with the wounded warrior program how do how do they get involved with that uh, do they wait for a phone call kind of like you Pedro or do they seek them out so there's a couple of ways to get uh, into the program I think if, if all systems work perfectly, then, then they would be referred by an agency outside. But that's not the only way you uh, can self-refer. Um, nobody has to know that you referred yourself to the program. You, you, anybody can refer another airman to the program. Um, and you do that if you, if you just want to Google Air Force Wounded Warrior Program. The website will come up, and then on the right side, about midway down the website, there's refer um, an airman. And that will go, the, the headquarters is in San Antonio at, at Randolph, and they'll, they'll review the application and, and enroll the member in the program um, if, if necessary. So they do, they do some vetting because it is only the severest uh, wounded and ill, but it, if you think, hey, is this program for me? It probably is. So, I would uh, I would encourage people to uh, attempt to enroll or refer anybody that has had any severe uh, or doesn't have to be combat related. Could be uh, physical, invisible, medical. Uh, if they think they didn't need it, they should refer themselves or their leadership team should recognize that and refer them. Do you guys think that you would be where you are today and in in the um, in a position where you can talk um, about what you've gone through or what you are currently going through had you not built that relationship with the Wounded Warrior Program? Uh, I, I do. I've, um, I've had a lot of resiliency as I as I discussed um, with my with my faith and with my church, um, with my own leadership. So I have actually talked about my illness several several times. Um, what I didn't realize is when I went to this event and I met so many other people. I'm an outlying case. Most people. Um, are not the system hasn't worked appropriately for them or a lot of people get into a dark place and they they don't want to talk to anybody Um, and so while that's not necessarily my experience I think that is the case for many people Um, and I'm I kind of regret not 
well, I regret not being involved earlier because there were times that I could have probably used more support that I didn't have it. Um, mm -hmm. Or it wasn't as easy for me to talk about. Um, so that was, that was very helpful to me. Uh, Pedro? Yeah, I think uh, actually attending this scare event has actually opened, opened the show or peeled back the onion. It has given me uh, that uh, drive. I already had the drive, but it has empowered me to uh, say my story in front of people. Like I've said my story before, but uh, it's only to a certain, a select few. Now I actually feel a lot better, a lot more empowered to actually say it out there, and it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to ask for help. Can I, can I talk a little bit about uh, the event itself that we were at this week and the people I've met? Um, so we, Pedro and I, did uh, the ambassador training. So that's one portion of the program uh, where we get trained to go out and and talk about our stories. Um, but that's not the only thing the program offers. There's a lot of adaptive sports. Um, and uh, one of the other ambassadors was telling us uh, this week he had a, a brain aneurysm and he was told he would never walk again. Uh, but the adaptive sports helped uh, Physical therapy first helped him walk, but then the adaptive sports was the first time he ran in 14 months. That's got to be so encouraging and so strength building for him uh, that that's capable. And uh, I can't tell you how many people I've heard talk about the sports, about how they gave them a purpose back to what they were doing and helped them with the recovery. Um, so that's So that program is going on. There's a resiliency program um, where they they work on uh, ways that you can help cope with, especially really severe trauma. Um, we got to to partake in some things of it, things that you wouldn't think of, painting. Paint, paint with a purpose. That was uh, really neat. You get to paint a uh, tile and uh, just do random colors and see what comes out. So kind of like the blob on the... Yeah, um, when you see, on, what is it? It's an yes. owl. No, yeah. that's wolf. Similar to that, so that's it was really sin and center centering. <laughs> they had an they had an improv comedian, and people got to practice improv. Uh, they had uh, music therapy, music. Um, and so they got to work through all of these uh, issues. And there are warriors that come back to do this because they take that and they learn how to do it. Another one was journaling, right? Journaling, and then and there was a. Uh, oils, essential oils for yep. uh, care. So so that's part of it. There's a section called employment and transition. Um, and I was talking earlier about the transition to the VA system and the retirement. There's a lot of rules and uh, things that we don't know. And there's, they help the warriors identify, hey, you need to look out for these things, make sure these things are identified as well as uh, employment. They the, actually, uh, it's similar to the TAPS class that we all have to go through yeah. when, on, on whenever you're transitioning out. Yeah. But this one has a more in-depth for tailored to wounded members. 
to include lawyers uh, for any leaders out there that don't know there are lawyers specifically for the disability uh, system that are at uh, San Antonio and so they were there and, and talked to them uh, and gave them their numbers to, to contact uh, so we we did that uh, we talked about the caregiver support that was there um, and so that was that was available and uh, just general hanging out with other people um, who, who have been in a bad spot in life and you know some people come who are still in a bad spot and they see other people who have come out of that bad spot and it gives them hope uh, I can't the whole week has been full of inspiring stories from just different members themselves and they want to tell you because they were they felt like they had no other options and Wounded Warrior Program gives you options. Gives you options. I feel like this is important not for just um, um, warriors who may be suffering from invisible wounds or actual physical wounds, but it's important for um, people in general, airmen in general, leaders in general, to understand what the program is and how it can help people in the future. Because at some point in time, like I as an NCO, I'm going to have an airman come to me and they're going to tell me, I'm terminally ill or I had something bad happen on my deployment and I'm having a hard time coming back from it and I've learned so much through this like do you do you see the value in in other airmen and leaders knowing about how to how to handle this oh absolutely um as I walked and I talked to, to different warriors at the event about their stories most my story was unique um my story worked really well. Everything worked for me. My leaders were supportive of me. Um, that's not the normal case. Uh, and so it's not always the leaders. Uh, there, there are other reasons that things come up. But as I got to more and more stories, that was a big, uh, a big factor. How leadership responded. Did they even know a program existed? Uh, did they reach out? Did they care? And so, uh, you know, I would I would say to leaders in the Air Force, you owe it to your airmen to find out about this program and give them every opportunity they have to come back to, to duty. And that, that won't be the case for everybody. But it, it could be the case for a lot more people if we get them treatment early if they need it or options early if they need it and they go and they look at their leadership to to give them that so. I 100% agree the leadership needs to be uh, learn what is out there because it's yeah it's not thought so being able to do this type of uh, podcast and uh, these type of talks and talking to the masses to bring awareness and teaching leadership. Hey, this is what's available out there. At least make the phone call. Get informed. That goes for uh, like commanders, senior NCOs, first sergeants. Yeah. 
And it's something that we can do today. You know, when we talk about being resilient, uh, building up that kind of anti-fragile um, build that we want for ourselves so when something bad does happen, we don't break. That's an everyday thing. It happens all the time. It's something we constantly have to focus on. Those foundations that you have, whether it be in God or your family and your friends or, or a program that you associate with, starting that today, um, whether it's you, you doing it for you or you doing it so you can help somebody later is is so incredibly important. And I really appreciate you guys being here today and talking to me. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your story. Pedro, you as well. Um, is there anything that you wanna leave our listeners with before we, we cash out? Um, just just for the individual airmen. Um, if, if you're in this spot, if you're in a dark spot, if you don't know which way is up, you know, You've got to communicate. You've got to share. There are people out here who are willing to help you and they want to come alongside you and support you, but you've got to tell them because sometimes they just don't know. So um, please, if, if that is you, then uh, reach out to your supervisor or your leader or go online and refer yourself um, if you're, you're not, not comfortable alone. talking to them, you're not you, alone. you are not alone. So. Absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast thank today. Thank you for having us. Locally, if you are interested in learning more about the Wounded Warrior Program, your local Dover Recovery Care Coordinator is Mr. Don Tressler, and he can be contacted at 302-677-3060. Reach out, ask some questions. If not for you, maybe for somebody else.